You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Poor. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. You know, Australia has been called by many as the lucky country. There is no doubt that we in this country have much to be pleased about. But of course, there are always exceptions. According to some reports, Australia is one of the 36 wealthiest countries in the world. And two of our cities, Melbourne and Adelaide, rate amongst the 10 most livable cities in the world. It's understandable that in this country we are envied by others. The TV soapy Home and Away presents life in this country rather glamorously, with handsome, tanned young men and beautiful young women going about their lives in an almost utopian existence. I recently extracted some statistics about what it's like to live in Australia. And you know, these statistics are not very glamorous. 3.24 million people in Australia, that's 13% of the population, live below the poverty line. 774,000 children under the age of 15, that's 17% of all children in Australia, also live below the poverty line. More than one in eight adults and one in six children live below the poverty line in this country. The poverty rate in Australia is worse than in most other wealthy countries. It's worse than in New Zealand, Germany and Ireland, according to the latest figures from the OECD. Yes, we have many poor in this so-called lucky country. Fortunately, we do have a social service system in Australia, which is a backstop, although mostly inadequate, because the cost of living, and particularly the cost of housing, is very high in this country. Now, I don't propose to provide a grand solution to fix the poverty problems, but I would like to share some counsel and information about being poor from God's Word, the Bible. But before doing that, I'd like to mention something about a discussion program aired on ABC Radio about a decade ago. The discussion topic was, When is Someone Rich? The panel discussed the issue for about an hour and concluded that someone is rich when they think they have enough. In 2007... My wife and I volunteered to go to the Kiribati Islands to do some maintenance work at the Kauma School on the island of Abamama. Kiribati is right on the equator in the Western Pacific. We were amazed at the poverty there. A teacher's wage per month was the equivalent to just 70 Australian dollars. Yet we were equally surprised how happy and joyful the people were. Most people derived an income from fishing and from the sale of copra, that's coconut meat. These people had enough. 
although relative to our standards they were very poor. The Bible uses the word poor 178 times and it also speaks about attitude toward those who are poor. It must be understood that the poor often lack resources that are available to others like legal representation in court. Leviticus 19 verse 15 is a command given to the Israelites by God and this should be the golden standard for everyone, everywhere, at all times. And it says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. And this is one of many statements about human rights. The justice of the Israelites was to reflect God's impartiality. The fairness lacking in a broken world was to be relieved by the unbiased nature of the Hebrew legal system. The poor were to be cared for, but not in a way that showed prejudice against the rich. Likewise, the rich were not to receive special treatment when decisions were made. In the same book, Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 35 and 36, is this injunction. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner or stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God that they may continue to live among you. Hospitality was non-negotiable among the Israelites. As a light to the Gentiles and all nations, the Israelites were expected to treat the sojourners among them with dignity and respect. This same level of respect was to be shown to any Israelite who became poor, which even meant lending money to them at no interest. And then we have a hypothetical situation highlighted in the New Testament book of James in chapter 2 and verses 2 to 4. The Apostle James writes, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, You stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What gives a person value? We really shouldn't need any other criteria beyond the fact that all people were created in God's image and worth going to the cross to redeem. Unfortunately, we often get caught up in the things the world values. I've seen TV programs where the owner or general manager of a major corporation has dressed in shabby clothes and has had some features of his appearance changed, 
and then has gone out to different sections of his or her business pretending to be a nobody. It was interesting to see what people's reactions were. Generally, but not always, workers in that company were helpful and sympathetic to the newcomer. In one case, a multi-millionaire dressed as a hobo and went to one of his food outlets and was kicked out because of, of his appearance. Later, when all was revealed, the manager of that store was sacked because of his unsympathetic attitude. The Bible teaches that we are not to judge people on their appearance, nor on their social status. All should be accorded dignity. And if you read the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 5 closely, you may notice an expression used by Jesus that goes like this. You have heard it said, something or other, but I say to you, and then Jesus expounded and expanded a teaching that was well known. In Matthew 25, Jesus presents a judgment scene and uses rural imagery to explain who are the saved and who are the unsaved. The sheep represent the saved and the goats the unsaved. And I'll read it to you from verses 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Here, Jesus points out that as we help the needy, it is as if we are doing kind deeds for him. Whatever we may think of the person or persons we help, a true-hearted person will help anyway. It is as if we are helping our master. The Apostle James actually defines what true religion is, and it is in harmony with the words of Jesus. And this is what James says in chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows and their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Summarised, that means to care for the needy, while at the same time maintaining the purity of one's beliefs and actions. But then there are others who may not be physically poor, 
who are also needy. These people are mentioned in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus spoke of them, and this is what he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to have a humble opinion of ourselves, to be sensible that we are sinners and have no righteousness of our own, to be willing to be saved only by the grace and mercy of God, to be willing to be where God places us, to bear what he lays on us, to go where he bids us, to be willing to be in his hands and to feel that we deserve no favour from him. It is opposed to vanity, pride and ambition. The poor in spirit are happy. But why? Well, firstly, because there is more real enjoyment in thinking of ourselves as we really are than in being filled with pride and vanity. Secondly, because such people Jesus chooses to bless, and on them he confers his favours. And thirdly, because theirs will be the kingdom of heaven hereafter. You know, it's remarkable that Jesus began his ministry in this manner, so unlike all others. Other teachers had taught that happiness was to be found in honour or riches or splendour or sensual pleasure. Jesus overlooked all those things and fixed his eye on the poor and the humble and said that happiness was to be found in the lowly veil of poverty more than in the pomp and splendours of life. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards. There was a young man who had the best of everything He was the firstborn of a wealthy man But he was not satisfied with the best of everything So he took his possessions in his hand He traveled far and wide And he tasted worldly pleasure But deep inside he was lonely without measure He wound up in a pig pen nearly dead He raised his eyes toward heaven and he said I will arise and go back to my father's house I will beg him to forgive me for the fool I've been I will arise and go back to my father's house I would gladly be a servant if you'll take me back again. Billy Joe Walker, Jr. Now here comes Wayne, Joe, Richard, and Steve, our buddies, the old bridge ball. I was a young man who had the best of everything. I was the firstborn of a hardworking man. But I was not satisfied with the best of everything 
thing, so I took my possessions in my hand. I traveled far and wide, and I tasted worldly pleasure, but deep inside, I was lonely without measure. I wound up in Las Vegas nearly dead. I raised my eyes toward heaven, and I said, I will To forgive me for the fool I've been I will arise and go back to my father's house I would gladly be a servant if he'll take me back again David Briggs on the piano So I did a Father, I'm sick and tired of being alone I did arise and go back to my father's house Then he wrapped his arms around me and said, son, you're welcome home Play it now Well, there's the saying in that song is the story of the prodigal son Rich in the world's goods, but poor as it relates to God. And to be poor in spirit means that we humbly recognize our sinfulness. It means that we're not proud and we don't try to present ourselves as being better than we really are. It means we recognize that we are servants, not masters. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, or as it is also known as the Revelation of Jesus Christ, adds further meaning to what Jesus had to say about the poor in spirit. Chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. God can't do much with someone who thinks he or she has need of nothing. There is a story recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and John about Jesus being anointed by Mary. It appears that Mary had been a prostitute and through prostitution had become reasonably wealthy, although her conscience troubled her greatly. Jesus forgave her her sins and she was very grateful, so grateful that she wanted to do something very special to show her gratitude. 
So she bought a jar of nard, a very aromatic, expensive perfume. While at a dinner given in Jesus' honour, Mary came into the room and anointed Jesus' feet with the perfume and wiped off the excess with her long hair. One of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, began to complain, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? He ranted. It was true the perfume was worth a lot of money, about a year's wages, and the money given for it would have done a lot of good. In John chapter 12, verse 6, the Bible comments about Judas. It says, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So, why are some people, like the 13.6% of Australians, poor? For some, there are no opportunities to escape from poverty. For some, there are physical and mental handicaps that prevent them competing with the rest of society. Some are governed by bad habits such as gambling, alcoholism, smoking and drugs that consume their money. And others are just too plain lazy. Like is mentioned in Proverbs chapter 6, 6 to 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard, Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Here the lazy are presented with an object lesson to look at the ants who toil to gather food while they can and store it up for the winter. Industry and diligence have their rewards. And we also have a wisdom saying in English that says, Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise. And my father also had a wisdom saying that he impressed on us, his children. He said, It's a poor chook, that's a chicken, it's a poor chook that can't scratch for itself. Some people prefer to depend on social welfare and stay poor rather than to work and make more money. How, I wonder, did Solomon, the author of the book of Proverbs, know that worker ants are female? That's something I just don't know. Now, have you ever heard someone say that they are assets rich but cash I think this has a spiritual application. It applies to Judas, and it may apply to you and me too. Jesus advised in Matthew 6 verses 19 to 21, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Let your aim to be rich in the things of God and poor in worldly values. Now today I want to finish by expanding a little on Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, rich nor poor, I'm including that, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The problem with being poor is when we are spiritually not physically poor. It is better to be poor in spirit, recognizing our deficiencies, than to be poor spiritually. It is no shame to be poor in worldly things, but is but it is a shame when we avoid taking up the Lord's offer to provide for our every need and to give us eternal life. And I pray that God will bless you as you consider these thoughts that I've presented to you today.